0: So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book. Committed is a production of iHeartRadio.
1: Um, I guess we didn't want to, we didn't want to like fall in love with the idea of it being permanent. And it was smarter for us to, you know, come to terms with the fact that it was going to be temporary, even maybe long-term temporary.
0: It was March of 2017 when Andrew and Edward Sen received a call from a social worker. It was a call they'd been waiting for for a really long time. The social worker told them that they'd been chosen to foster a set of premature, nine-day-old twins who'd been born with drugs in their system. Now, at the time, Andrew and Edward had been hoping to enter a long-term private adoption. But they knew right away that these babies needed them.
1: And we, we had to care for them like they were going to be ours forever. It's what they deserved. It's what they needed. It's what they needed. And we had the love to give. Yeah, it was easy to do. <laughs> you know, it wasn't a hard job, but at some point in time, just realized, like, we can't be nervous about this. We just have to go all in and, yeah, you know, this is our family for right now. And we don't know what the future holds.
0: I'm Joe Piazza. This is Committed. Andrew and Edward like to say they experienced love at first Facebook message, but Edward actually spied Andrew when he was conducting a concert at his church. Both men are church organists and musicians.
1: I reached out to him on Facebook after the concert, and that's kind of how our friendship and then dating life began. So the event that I went to at his church was in May of 2008, and then we like, met for for real for the first time in person. Like, had our, our first date was July 1st, just six weeks later or whatever.
0: How early on did you guys know this was it? That this was serious? You guys were going to be together forever?
1: That weekend. Yeah, it seems I was 19. <laughs> he was 29. So, it seems kind of odd to have those feelings for me. I, especially for me, I think at my age, I was still in college. And it was my first real relationship. But we just felt... A pretty intense it connection. It was just an intense from connection the from the beginning. Yeah.
0: At first, they tried doing the whole long-distance thing. Edward was going to the Eastman School of Music in Rochester, and Andrew was living in Philly. Finally, Edward just decided to transfer schools so they could be closer to each other.
1: I, I think I spent too long saying I transferred because I didn't really like the program. That's true, but I also transferred to a different school to be closer to Andrew. So <laughs> I have a magnetic personality. <laughs> I have to tell the truth at some point, yeah.
0: They got married on their dating anniversary, six years after they first met. At the time, gay marriage was legal in New Jersey, but not in Pennsylvania. Edward's godparents had offered to host a small wedding for the couple at their house in Jersey.
1: And then marriage became legalized in Pennsylvania in, I don't know, June of 2014, whenever it was a few weeks before we, and we just decided, hey, our anniversary of being together is coming up. Why don't we get married and we just kind of did it. We, yep. um, It was a small ceremony in the chancel of Andrews, the church that he works for.
2: And um, it
1: was just the staff. It was just a small group of people. And I don't know, I remember coming home and telling our neighbor at the house we used to live in, like, she's like, hey, what you guys do today? You know, you know, we're checking in on the sidewalk and like, we just got married. You know, it was kind of <laughs> like, <laughs> just, I don't know, it was just for us. You know, we... We, um, It was just for us. We just really enjoyed finally being able to make that commitment to each other.
0: Andrew says they both knew they wanted kids from the very beginning. But Edward remembers it a little differently.
1: I feel like when I met Andrew, I was 19 and I was already talking about kids. And I was, a, I would say, mature for my age. And he was 29 and a little immature for his age. So we kind of met in the middle. There you go. And I remember always wanting kids. And I just feel like he wasn't quite there yet. So it's not that he was opposed to it's it. It's not but. that
2: I wasn't there yet. It was just that, you know, I'm using air quotes here. The time was never right. Right. But Edward is really pushy. Yeah. And so he just kind of I said, get what I want. Yeah. He, Edward always gets what he wants. It's time to do it. And he pushed us into it. And it was the best push that ever could have happened.
0: What I'm about to say is pretty obvious, but. For two gay men, starting a family wasn't as straightforward as just saying, hey, we want to start a family. So they began evaluating all their
1: options. We thought, do we know anyone that might be a surrogate for us? I think a lot of people are passionate about having their own children if they can. So we definitely Mm -hmm. went down that route. And we did Um, have a friend who... um, we had a friend who offered we had, us some eggs, but was not able but not to, to carry a child. So we, so we sort of like roundabout did the surrogacy thing, and then it's very cost prohibitive. So we were learning more about a private adoption or being foster parents and discovered this wonderful agency in Ambler, Pennsylvania, Haven Adoptions, who was a private agency that was venturing into the world of being a foster, a providing provider providing agency. Providing foster care. Yeah, for yeah, and training foster parents. and going down that road, yeah.
0: It's a really long road, and not for the faint of heart.
1: There's lots of training. We were trained, you know, hours of training and classes, CPR certification, you know. Background checks. Background checks, character references from five different friends. So we tried to pick people that, like, had kids, because then they could write about how we were with their kid.
0: As potential foster parents who were willing to take a child from newborn up to the age of five, they had to have their house ready for absolutely anything that came their way.
2: You have
1: to have like a change of
2: clothes for every age. Yeah, we
1: were pre-approved for like a child age, like newborn through five. So we had to have an outfit or two for kind of each stage of life. We had to have a crib. But then that could be converted into a toddler bed if we got a four-year-old or whatever, you know. So it was kind of like...
2: You have to be sort of prepared for everything age-appropriate.
1: Yeah. So then you suddenly have to go out and scramble. Because when you're having your own child or children, maybe you have a shower or something like that. So you kind of get some of the materials. So we had some things that maybe someone giving birth wouldn't have had. But then we were also kind of like... Unprepared in a number of other ways, so. There were many, many late-night trips to Target. Yeah, like, oh, no, we need this, or, you know, at the very beginning.
0: At the time, the guys were living in this little house in Germantown in Philadelphia. It was adorable, but tiny.
2: The entire house was about 750 square feet. It was two bedrooms, one bath. There wasn't even a bathtub in the bathroom. It was just a stall shower. The second bedroom, which what we had set up as the kids' room, was really, really tiny. It was like seven feet by ten feet. So, and there was one crib in there because we only
1: thought we would have one.
0: But then the foster agency called and said they had a set of twin four-year-old girls. Edward and Andrew had to completely scramble to find a second bed, but suddenly they became parents.
1: The first night together was really exciting. Finally, having kids in our house that we were in charge of and taking care of. The next day, we had to go to court, you know, to sort of like make the placement official. And there were some behaviors of the kids that just came out, and we were we were kind of like, this doesn't feel right. You know, it was just a bit a bit of a shock to our system. There's different kinds of foster parents. Like there are people that are more trained in trauma for older children, or and therapeutic, therapeutic foster parents. Yeah. But we said, you know, we would we'd keep them in but our we'll, care until a a more suitable foster family can be found, which took a day. <laughs> so yeah, so we had them for one more night after that, and we were torn up. I mean, that yeah. was
2: that was really the hardest decision I think we've ever made. Yeah,
1: we felt relief because it didn't feel right, but we felt as though we had made a bad choice. Like, I guess we're not cut out to be foster parents. We we didn't survive this first placement.
2: Or that we in some way weren't being there for the girls that we should have been, you know, only having known them for 24 hours.
0: That was October of 2016. Andrew and Edward did a debriefing with the social workers for Haven adoptions and foster care and they decided maybe they weren't cut out to be foster parents. They thought it might be better if they chose the path to private adoption, even though that was even more time consuming and incredibly expensive.
1: So we started doing some fundraising, which we didn't need to do for foster care. So we had to sort of figure out some things. We started like the equivalent of a GoFundMe for an an adoption for those fees that we would have coming up eventually we had to sort of alter our home study information a bit to be more appealing to a birth mother choosing us as opposed to just like a social worker from the county saying this family looks good you know so it was more personal maybe in a way you're kind of putting
2: advertising together for yourself you're marketing yourself for birth mothers
1: yeah so we were sort of going down that road for a while and still had everything in our house that we had needed for the foster placement, you know, and we, we didn't, like, get rid of anything. We were told, you know, maybe we'd be able to have a, an infant in 12 to 18 months. So we just said, well, our house is ready. We'll just keep it set up and just kind of wait for this to happen.
0: And then in March 2017, the couple got a call. That call we talked about in the beginning of the episode. More after a quick break. Hey, guys. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book. Andrew and Edward had made the heart-wrenching decision that they weren't cut out to be foster parents. They were on the path to a private adoption when their old social worker from the foster agency called them completely out of the blue.
1: And said, you're going to kill me. I know you backed away from fostering, but there are these twins in the hospital, premature babies, and they're looking for a foster family it will certainly be a long term placement andrew was out of town for I, work i wasn't
2: even in town and so we were having these intense. not heated but very intense conversations over the phone you know a, a thousand I miles was being apart pushy.
1: this sounds right we should <laughs> do this we should say we want to accept the placement and andrew was being cautious and you know, i'm out of town does this seem right we didn't want to do fostering and i'm like <laughs>
2: We want Again, Edward's very yeah, pushy.
1: So.
2: <laughs> <laughs> there were definitely some heated moments, more on my part than on Edward's part. I was just initially really uneasy with going into something this big and not even being home.
1: But, you know, Edward's a big boy, and I trusted him. And- <laughs> I remember saying, like, I just think these babies need us. That was kind of one of my talking points. I just felt like our social worker wouldn't have reached out to us for an opportunity that she didn't really believe would be worth it. So I was trusting the agency we were working with and our social workers. I mean, there were other people, you know, doing this training with us
2: at the same time. So it's, we weren't the only people that they had. Yeah, we that weren't they the only call. option. They had other people they were considering this placement. So they really felt strongly
1: that this would be a good match for Suitable us. Suitable for us, yeah. So we did decide to say we would be willing to accept the placement and then we were chosen to accept them to be their foster parents. Andrew's out of town. It was like a terrible time in terms of like scrambling. But they had to spend some time
2: in the NICU, which ended up being a really, really great thing. Not only did it allow me time to finish up my trip and get back home... But Edward was able to start going to the hospital yeah, and we visiting were, with the babies, yeah. and then when I came back, I was able to go with him. And NICU nurses are amazing. Yeah, we
1: were coddled by the NICU nurses, and they one in really particular was one in
2: particular
1: special to us. Um, Shout out to Barb. Exactly. And yeah. again, that's something we felt we benefited from. I mean, I think I had changed a diaper before, but like, but
2: changing diapers, but on we a, were like taught how to on do a, a two-pound baby <laughs> is a lot different from. Changing diapers on a full-term
1: baby. One of them needed an IG tube, so she wasn't great with her bottle yet. So, like, we were instructed on how to be really patient and helpful for feeding. And, yeah, we were grateful for the NICU stay because then when they came home, we felt we were really ready, you know, as opposed to maybe... It was really good preparation. Not being ready without that extra time.
0: When they first arrived in the NICU, the girl twin, Arabella, was just two pounds and the boy, Anthony, was four pounds. The birth parents were both struggling with addiction when the twins were in utero, and both babies had drugs in their system when they were born.
2: We met the parents at, the, at both discharges, actually, from the NICU. Mom and dad and paternal grandmother um, were there, and they were actually very kind to us at the discharge. I think both of us were there for Anthony's discharge. They looked a little rough. They had gone through some stuff, but they were very sweet. They were very, very appreciative of what we were doing. There was no blame or finger pointing at anyone. It was about as good as could be expected
1: actually. So we had him alone for about two weeks at home and we were visiting the NICU. Like one of us would stay home, the other would go visit her. And then when she was ready to come home, it was April Fool's Day. So she was released from that NICU. So I went and got Arabella, and uh, the parents were
2: also there for Arabella's discharge. And again, it was very pleasant. It was a a little more emotional maybe with her, because it was kind of, you know, the last time that they were going to see both of
1: their kids. Um, what we realized was when the kids were in the hospital, the parents could visit them freely because they were still, you know, they were, they were in custody of the county already and were heading into foster care, but the parents were still able to visit them in the hospital. So discharge from the hospital meant, I think it made the, the fact that the kids were in foster care much more real to the birth family. And, you know, it was something they had to come to terms with the fact that now the visits, To see their kids would be arranged by the county and supervised, and it wasn't as free as them popping into the hospital when they were able to.
0: Suddenly, Andrew and Edward were alone with two babies.
2: Well, the tiny house wasn't really a problem because they weren't really moving anywhere.
1: Yeah, it was kind of, (laughs) it was fine for when they can't do anything. You just, like, stare at them and feed them, and you're exhausted. It wasn't so bad, actually. It was pretty we just easy. We kind with, of, we each had one. Yeah, it was easy with our son. Like, he just, yeah, but for that, for that brief time when he was home alone, it was so easy. Like, we just, like, would take him places and run an errand or one baby in the stroll. It was just so easy. And then when she came home, it was much more stressful and involved. And, you know, we got used to, like, you know feed change nap feed change like the little schedule we did with one and then when you're doing two you're like feed change nap feed change nap and then the other one's like kind of waking up sooner than you're ready for them to wake up and I don't know it was just um it was really different with two (laughs) yeah (laughs) when we finally had both of them home and I didn't technically
2: have any like official leave time but they were just like take whatever time you need to get comfortable and get your life sorted out and all of that. So I was still working, but I didn't have to go into the office as much. Um, I just had the time that I needed to have, which was really, really wonderful.
1: And then my church worked out for our first placement with those other twins. We hadn't worked out a leave thing, so that was kind of a mess. And then after that placement with my HR person, we worked out, like, what would happen for our next placement or adoption. And, um... I used FLMA, you know, like I could, yeah. So it was, you know, sick days and vacation time available to me, but I found that a nerve wracking way to be a parent because I felt like we didn't, I I did not get to relax into a lot of the early days of being a parent because I was basically working part time and the days I wasn't at work were vacation or sick days. And I was constantly nervous about like, I got to go to work, but then I want to be home with the kids. And it was, I found for me, I found it to be a very stressful and uneasy beginning of parenting that I wish could have been a little bit different. But we're past that now, so it's a distant memory at this point. My parents live locally about an hour away, so they got to be very involved at the beginning. Andrew's parents live in the Chicago area. We drove out to visit them when the twins were two months old, which was really special. And it was interesting to see how our families maybe were reserved with their affection for the twins or not, because as it continued and progressed. For a long time we just thought about our emotions, but we realized anyone that we welcomed into our circle and into the twins' lives, they also were vulnerable or emotionally, you know, about emotionally what, attached. What, what was well. going to happen and, you know, would the kids be in their lives forever or would it also be a temporary thing for them too?
0: Time for a quick break. Be right back. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book. Being foster parents is emotionally gut-wrenching. From the very beginning, Andrew and Edward tried to be careful to guard their emotions because it was always clear from the start that the twins' parental grandmother planned to try to adopt them.
1: We didn't want to, like, fall in love with the idea of it being permanent. And it was smarter for us to, you know, come to terms with the fact that it was going to be temporary, even maybe long-term temporary.
0: But it's impossible, right? It seems completely impossible to keep yourself from getting attached to these little babies.
1: It was impossible. It was impossible. Yeah. It was totally impossible. We had to care for them like they were going to be ours forever. It's what they deserved. It's what they needed. It's what they needed. And we had the love to give. Yeah, it was easy to do. (laughs) You know, it wasn't a hard job, but at some point in time just realized, like, we can't be nervous about this. We just have to go all in and, you know, this is our family for right now. And we don't know what the future holds.
0: But how do you live with that level of uncertainty?
1: I went to therapy for the first time. For a long time. <laughs> found a wonderful therapist who works with LGBTQ families and had worked in foster care in the Philadelphia area before. And um, for me, it was really helpful to have someone that wasn't my spouse to talk about it with. Like, I just, Andrew, when he, he kind of just thinks about things quietly on his own and I need to like get words out and just like talk through things and... It worked it works for our relationship almost all the time. But for the level of uncertainty in the foster <laughs> placement, I think he was like, I can't take this like this repetitive record again. It, like, you know, it was like so it was helpful for him to get a break from my kind of like, What if? What about that? You know, so someone you know, I paid someone to listen to me and she was really helpful. <laughs> <laughs> and and the whole
2: the whole foster care journey, it's not It is definitely a roller coaster, but it's not, you know, like an action-packed roller coaster. Like, it's something different all the time. Foster care moves really, really slowly. So things would, you know, go great for a while, and you would get used to whatever that routine is. And then you would get some huge bump or some piece of news that would change things. And it would just throw you for a loop and make you spin around, and everything would become crazy and then you would learn to live with whatever that piece of information was for however many weeks, and you'd become comfortable again. And then another big change would happen. So it was just a lot of getting used to things and waiting around and then having some emotional hit.
1: And then getting used to that. Yeah, and yeah. then getting used to that again. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: The goal of the foster care system is usually reunification with the family. In the early days of the twins' lives, the kids were picked up and taken for visits with their parents or their grandmother at least once or twice a week. The social workers hoped that their parents would eventually be able to take the twins back.
1: And then, for a number of reasons, it was pretty evident that that was going to be a challenge. You know, the parents both struggled with opioid addiction and made strides at the beginning to try and get past it. But it was a serious addiction, and they were just... In a really low place when the when the kids were born. So then once it became clear that it was going to be super challenging for the parents to try and get the kids in their care, grandma really stepped up and she had to become an approved foster parent, too. It wasn't just like, hey, I'm grandma, I'll take care of my grandkids. She had to prove herself and she did and we still didn't get to know her for a little bit because neither side had hard feelings but we were just like we were hoping for one end result and she was hoping for another and i remember at one doctor's appointment that she went to she said like i know you love the kids but these are my grandkids and i'm not going to give up on them and it wasn't mean it wasn't no. it yeah, wasn't it was. even really uncomfortable when she said it you know it was just the truth and we said we know you do <laughs> like We we love them, too, and we'll just, you know, like, no no one knew what was going to happen.
0: From that point on, the county scheduled more visits with the twins' grandmother so they could get to know her, spend time with her. Andrew and Edward were charged with taking Anthony and Arabella and picking them up from their grandmas.
1: That's when we started getting to know her. It just felt really comfortable. One of our social workers, she kind of said, like, Got to make this work. You know, try and and do that. And, you know, it's it's the best advice we could have gotten, which is good for the kids. I was very close with my grandmother growing up. This is their biological grandmother. We didn't want to be in the way of that relationship.
0: The county conducts something called bonding assessments. These determine how well children are bonding with their foster families.
1: The county said these kids are very bonded with the foster dads and obviously have a wonderful relationship wonderful relationship with the grandmother, and they had an outside woman assess the relationship with both sides, and it basically proved that they had truly bonded to us as, as their parody. parents, but that this relationship with grandma was really meaningful and very important, and, that, and it, it helped show that we were passionate about it, and that's really one of the things that I think helped grandma realize we had become the parents. And she saw her son and daughter-in-law have their kids taken away from them. And she didn't want to have the kids taken away from us. And she felt that she would be in their lives and she would be grandma. And that we were, again, just very passionate and supportive of that relationship.
0: Right up until that point, the twins' grandmother had been filing for adoption. But suddenly she changed her mind. She finally agreed that Andrew and Edward were the absolute best parents for these two kids, and she withdrew her application. And in the process of that, Andrew and Edward gained another family member.
1: We did, yeah. We did. The day we adopted the, the twins, Grandma threw a party for all of our family at her house, and she had this big, beautiful cake. a photo with the four of us on it she's told us before family isn't about blood it's about the love you can give we've learned a lot about what that means from her and you know so we we see her maybe once a week or every 10 days the kids sleep over she babysits she comes over here for dinner um we meet out at a restaurant you know just, just easy things you know and my parents live fairly nearby but they can't swing over and help us for a couple hours it's always really planned we can be like oh we got to do this can you like can we drop them off or you know it's 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 really nice it's it's convenient it's comfortable and we don't view her just as the kid's grandma like we feel like we've gained another family member it's just a big family yeah you know they're
2: they obviously live here but they also you know grandmom's house is part of
1: their home as well yeah they have their room there you know like they have their toys there they have their routine there and it's very comfortable for everyone so that that's with grandma and then their birth father is incarcerated for a number of years we all have a really nice rapport that we've been growing for over a year now and you know currently during the pandemic they do zoom video visits so the twins have gotten to see him in that way a couple times we visited him once up at the prison before all this happened. And it was a really that was wonderful... Really, that was really
2: sweet to see, actually. Nice, nice, yeah. you
1: know. They were, like, not quite three at that point And we weren't sure how they would respond. They had not seen him since they were, like, two months old. We were waiting at a table with him to come out with some, like, coloring and materials. And he just came out, and they just instantly felt comfortable with him and were coloring and talking. And it was just a really special, nice thing, you know. And we always say... A lot of people maybe aren't comfortable or think this is crazy how can you do that you know get to know him or let let all these biological family members in because I think there's a lot of bad adoption stories and then older adopted kids like are desperately searching for these you know biological answers so our kids will never you know we're two guys like at some point in time at some point in time they're gonna realize pretty obvious yeah yeah (laughs) yeah. so uh, we're not hiding anything about how they came to be and uh they'll let us know when they're ready to learn about some of the like nitty-gritty details but for now we just have this what we view as a really wonderful big extended group of people that just love and care about these babies
0: Going through the very slow roller coaster of the foster system, and then getting the family they always wanted in a completely unconventional way, has brought Andrew and Edward closer together.
2: I think we're more on the same page about things. Our individual personalities that we had before, with me being the more in inward personality and Edward being the more dramatic one have maybe been amplified a little bit you know there's a little bit of bickering here and there like any normal family but there's also a lot more together time it's all wonderful
1: circling back to how I always felt that maybe Andrew wasn't quite on board with wanting kids or not quite ready when I wanted them or to start that journey the minute we got them he just flourished as a dad and it was wonderful for me to see and in some ways he was more Comfortable or better at certain parts of it than I. Like I was kind of like, "What? He's so good at infants." Like I thought I was going to be the like infant whisperer, and he's all like, "No, I got this. You're good. You're all stressed out. Like, go for a walk. Get out of the house." I have more patience with toddlers. Oh, that's definitely. But true. the very beginning when it infants was, are easy, except for the waking up in the middle of the night. Yeah. they're totally easy. We're toddlers toddlers are a whole, us, yeah. whole different <laughs> It was fun to see the other one flourishing as a parent. And it definitely brought us closer just because we love being together as a family and doing things together as a unit. This episode was hosted and
2: reported by Joe Piazza, with special thanks to Edward and Andrew Sin. It was produced, edited, and mixed by Ramsey Yunt. The executive producers are Joe Piazza and Tyler Kling. Theme song by Tristan McNeil. For comments, suggestions, or to be part of the show, give us a call at 404-996-1173. That's 404-996-1173. Or send us an email at joe at committedpodcast.com. That's j o at committedpodcast.com. You can grab a copy of Joe's book, How to Be Married, on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Committed is a production of iHeartRadio and produced in our studios located in Atlanta, Georgia. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
0: Hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty-turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother, Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books.